0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Since our last application Sunday, we have strictly been talking about the life of Joseph. So we transitioned from um, the narrative dealing with uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau to really getting into the life of Joseph. And really over the past five weeks, we've looked at specifically the suffering that he endures in his early life. The uh, hostility directed towards him by his brothers Uh, the um, imprisonment that he endures both in the pit with his brothers, then into slavery, then being sold into slavery to Potiphar, and then ending up in jail. Um, So a lot we've been been discussing regarding his uh, suffering. We started off talking about just the theme of Joseph's life being God's sovereign control over daily events ensures the ongoing prosperity of his people. That's what we see running through the whole life of Joseph, that God is completely in control of all of the events in his life, and he, God constructs those events in such a way that ensures the ongoing prosperity, not just of Joseph, but of the people of Israel. That, that God is working everything to ensure that the people of Israel have exactly what they need to become a great nation, to ultimately be the, um, the uh, national people that, that Christ comes through as the Messiah, um, and so God is working all of the events in Joseph's life to to move in that bigger direction. Um, some of the things that we've talked about, and I want to pose them in question format, so I want to get you guys' feedback, answers, things that you remember us discussing. This is where our kids are welcome to interject as well. Um, first question that I want us to reflect upon, what are some of the ways that we see Joseph's greatness? We talked about Joseph being both a great man of God, but then also very normal, so we don't want to elevate Joseph too highly to where we think um, he's a special case, but we do see some greatness about Joseph. What are some of the, the great things that we can highlight when we think about Joseph and his life? Anything at all that really stands out to us that we've talked about? How he serves as an example to us? Okay, he resisted the temptation to sin, In a couple of different areas. Okay. Yep, so he handles authority well, and he's a great example of one who works hard and works himself into uh, positions of authority. What are some other things that that we've reflected upon as far as Joseph and his his greatness? All right, he never sought revenge. Um, I put down that he overcame the temptation to grow bitter and vengeful towards his brothers for their mistreatment. But not just with his brothers, we've talked about multiple cases where he could have sought revenge um, with Potiphar's wife. When he comes to power in Egypt, he could have easily gone after her and the lies that she told. Could have gone after uh, the butler who failed to mention him only after two years of waiting um, he could have easily brought vengeance upon his brothers. He could have left Potiphar's house, we talked about. Because of his position of authority and ability to delegate, he could have escaped Potiphar's house probably and gone home and brought vengeance upon his brothers. And uh, instead, he resists that bitterness and resists that desire to mistreat and, and seek revenge. Are there other things that we can say about Joseph and the the great example that he sets for us? Yep. Yeah. Yep, he's very faithful to listen to to God's leading in his life. Yep. Yep, he gives credit to God for the success of uh, the gifts that he has. Um, and, and we talked last week specifically, his understanding of dreams and how God is the source of interpretations for dreams ultimately is a nod to his belief that God controls the the future and that God controls future events. And so... Um, you know, he resists the temptation to grow bitter. He resists the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife. Um, and then all through this, we see him continually trusting in God's control over his future, right? We don't ever see him deviating from believing that God's in control. He continues to work hard in Potiphar's house. He continues to work hard in prison. He continues to believe in the dreams that God gave him about being in authority over his brothers. He never loses sight of that being something that will be fulfilled, We said last week there's no way he would presume that he could interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker if he felt like the dreams that he had as a kid weren't going to come true. And so it's a sign that he was still believing in God's plans for his own uh, life. What are some ways that we see Joseph just as a normal uh, guy and the normal ways that that things typically function? What were some of the things that we highlighted about him being uh, a normal character in Scripture? Yep, God never um, directly does any type of big miracles or uh, directly speaking to him beyond what we see in the dreams. Um, That that It's kind of more of a status quo leading by the Spirit. We said that he's not mentioned in the New Testament, uh, really, in in the same ways that Moses and Abraham are, um, that he's not uh, elevated to that type of status. Anything else stand out to you as, as... uh, ways that he's a little bit more normal. Yeah? It's true. Remember, we talked, too, about the fact that the Messiah doesn't come from Joseph's line, right? Like, he's not even the the direct recipient of the covenant blessings. Now, he enjoys the covenant blessings being a part of Israel, but uh, the Messiah comes through the line of Judah rather than Joseph. And so, as great as Joseph is, he's also... Uh, normal in the sense that we can relate to him. We don't have to view him kind of out of the box as something special that we can't really relate to. We said ultimately what's what's great about Joseph's life is that God orchestrates all the events of his life for good purposes, and that's exactly what God does for us as believers. That the promise of Romans 8:28 finds its fulfillment in Joseph's life, that that God's constantly working things good for him. Negative circumstances, trials and temptations, they're all being utilized in his life for good purposes. And we can claim that hope as well, that God gives us those same promises um, as his children. So the first sermon that we looked at um, five weeks ago, the danger of hating others, talking about the hostility between Joseph and his brothers, the summary sentence for that week, if our contentment is affected by the success of others, we run the risk of growing bitter, jealous, and angry, which opens the door to even greater sins. And so this leads into our third question. Why do Joseph's brothers hate him? Because ultimately, it's the hatred that they have towards him that leads to bitterness, that opens up the door for greater sins. It's tied to um, their jealousy of him. But what are some of the, what are some of the uh, main factors that led to Joseph's brothers hating him that we talked about? Some more obvious than others. Special treatment by his dad, um, the giving of the coat to him. His dreams, which we've highlighted as really being the main instigator for his brothers hating him. And and why did we say that was important and unique for us to know? Cause I think typically the first thing we think of is uh the the mis- the, or the uh the treatment by his dad. But why did we say it's important to to know the dream part as well? Who who ultimately is the source of um allowing that hostility to take place. God is, right? So we talked about the fact that that God is the one who gives the dreams to Joseph. God in his foreknowledge and sovereignty understands that that is going to create greater hostility, that the brothers are gonna respond improperly to that. And so we talked about the fact that God is the one in control of this whole story, and God allows certain things to happen in this story to move the story along. And so he brings these dreams into play and he knows that it's going to create the hostility. The brothers are responsible for their decision-making. They're responsible for their reaction to it. But, but God allows them to be hostile towards Joseph um, as a result of these dreams. We also talked, we also talked about um, Joseph potentially bringing a, a report to his dad about the brother's behavior and how that Joseph wasn't engaging in the sinful behavior of his brother's. And so there was some animosity there that Joseph thinks he's better than us, dad thinks he's better than us, and obviously God thinks that he's better than us, giving us uh, giving him these dreams where uh, possibly he's going to have authority over us. And we said that the brothers really believed probably those dreams, that today we would dismiss dreams if we didn't think they were a big deal. We wouldn't get angry at somebody for having dreams um, about us, but they get very angry at Joseph probably because they believe these dreams will come true. And they want to prevent them from coming true, right? So that leads to the uh, discussion about um, about killing Joseph. Uh, but in that summary sentence, um, if our contentment is affected by the success of others, we run the risk of growing bitter, jealous, and angry, which opens the door to even greater sins. And that's probably the key point that I want us to remember is that bitterness may not feel like a big deal. Um, animosity towards someone else may not feel like a big deal. Frustration and anger towards someone may not feel like a big deal. Um, it may feel like something that we can contain and handle. But Scripture's clear that, those, that that sin, if it's allowed to fester, it opens up the door to greater sins. Um, if it's not dealt with and dealt with swiftly and harshly, it opens up the door to greater sins. And we see the brothers start off angry and frustrated with Joseph, And then all of a sudden they're killing uh, or wanting to kill and they're lying and and it's just opening up the door to greater sins in their life. Um, The next week we talked about a proactive God versus a reactive God. Uh, We continued looking at the progression in the story of Joseph and his brothers and the brothers uh, plotting to kill him. We said the summary sentence for that week, all of life's events, including the evil at work around us, should be seen as God's proactive working for his glory And our good. So it's God working in and through us and around us. Even when evil is at work, God is using that evil for good purposes uh, in our life. What are some of the ways that we see God directing Joseph to Egypt? What are some ways? Obviously, we know the brothers, if you just read the narrative, the brothers are responsible for putting him in in Egypt. But what are some of the ways that we see God actually directing Joseph? this story to where Joseph ends up in Egypt. Can you remember anything that we talked about in relationship to that? Yep. Yep. Yeah, the first thing that I had written down was God giving him uh, the dreams that make the brothers angry. What was one of the key events also that we talked about in that Joseph could have easily skipped out on being hit with this anger by his brother's Yep. Yep, if God really wanted to protect him from ending up in Egypt, Joseph went to find him at Shechem. Dad said, go and check on him at Shechem. He shows up, they're not there. He has no idea where they are, and he could have easily gone back home and been spared the whole ordeal. But God um, directs a man to him who has knowledge of their whereabouts, and so God allows him and directs him further towards his brothers, um, and then in the dialogue with the brothers, one of the brothers wants to save him, right? Who's the brother that wants to, behind the scenes, plot and come up with a way to, to salvage this and to get Joseph out of this? Reuben, right? Reuben's plan is, hey, let's don't kill him. Let's put him in the pit. I mean, if you're reading the narrative, your mind, and it, for the first time, your mind's thinking, oh, this is how God spares his people. God is going to use brother Reuben to get Joseph out of this mess. And yet God continues to move the story forward and doesn't allow Reuben to bring about salvation in this case, right? He, he prevents that, Reuben's not with the group and there's a dialogue because these traitors walk by and they say, hey, let's sell them into slavery and, and Reuben's not there to stop it. And I think that's intentional by God. Why? Because we know. And the only reason that I can talk confidently about this is because we've already talked about God prophesying to Abraham, hey, your people will end up in a foreign nation for 400 years before they enter back into the promised land. So this is God fulfilling his prophecy, right? It's not by accident that they end up in Egypt. It's not by accident. It's not that God had planned for Reuben to save him and and they did this on their own accord. God has every intent of Israel ending up in Egypt. So all these events, all this evil that, that Satan and his forces are thinking that they're winning the story, God's using all of it for his greater purposes. Um, and so God directs Joseph to Egypt ultimately. And so going back to the summary sentence, for us as well, because Joseph's a normal guy, right? He's great, but he's normal. He's a guy we can relate to. All of our events in life, including the evil at work around us, should be seen as God proactively working for his glory and our good. Um, It's him fulfilling Romans 8, 28 in our life as well. Um, Then we talked about three weeks ago, Judah, the the chapter that's kind of inserted here in a way that kind of breaks up the story a little bit, but it it allows us to compare and contrast Judah and Joseph. And so the whole chapter devoted to Judah acting from convenience. Um, We see him kind of separate from the family and start to go downhill a little bit in his character. The summary sentence from that week, the longer we fail to deal with our sin, the more we fall into additional sin, but we serve a God who is capable of rescuing us from the greatest of sins. What were some of the ways that we saw Judah fail in that chapter? What were some of the things that we highlighted? Poor decision-making by him. What were some of the things that he did incorrectly in that chapter? Okay, yeah, he does a poor job of leading his family, um, when his sons start to die, um, he wants to hold the girl responsible right instead of his his boys for making poor decisions. What else? What are some of the things that he does wrong in this chapter? Yep, yeah, we talked about him deviating from Christian fellowship from. The family, the covenant family, he leaves the covenant family and befriends individuals and uh, Canaanites that end up swaying his decision making, and um, he ends up being led astray by their advice, um, which is a reminder to us how important the covenant family is to us, not our immediate family. Right? He had the luxury of those being simultaneously the same thing: the covenant family and his immediate family. That's God's people. For us. The covenant family being our connection to the universal church seen through our connection to the local church, right? And and us needing to align ourselves with believers uh, who can guide us and encourage us and be our support system versus people outside the covenant family who don't cling to the same hope as we do. Um, he clings to the wrong type of hope, the wrong type of people, ends up leading uh, himself af- uh, astray, his family astray, and then we see when his wife passes away and he comes out of that that he seeks comfort from the wrong places, right? That's what leads him into that um, adultery. Um, falls into that with uh, his daughter-in-law who was supposedly promised to his youngest son, but he wasn't following through like he should have there. So you see a bunch of negatives about Judah. Um, and what we, what we gain from that chapter, remember, is that we're all capable of any type of sin. Like right? Judah uh, the 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 great ancestor of Christ falls into sexual sin. He falls prey to being a poor dad and poor decision making and poor friends, and and it reminds us that we're capable of sins as well. But ultimately, God is able to rescue us from any sin that we could fall into. Um, and we highlighted the fact that Judah's name is in heaven, right? That the name is written in heaven, and that um, that heaven proclaims his name as a as a recipient of God's grace. And so we can be encouraged by the fact, too, that when God rescues us out of sin, that we have a place for us in heaven, too, despite our past failures, that ultimately Christ, the slain lamb, is who is being praised in heaven. Um, and, and our salvation is based on his, uh, his perfect work for us. All right. Um, that led us into uh, the past two weeks, uh, Joseph acting with integrity. Um, we said the Lord remains with believers at all times, allowing them to remain faithful in times of uncertainty, in times of temptation, and in times of hardship. And we see all three of those right off the bat when Joseph ends up in Egypt. A lot of uncertainty about his future. Doesn't know if he's going to end up with his family again or not, but he starts to work hard in Potiphar's house, right? He's working hard, he's uh, prospering, and and God is blessing him. And uh, he obviously believes that God's influential uh, with his success because it says that Potiphar recognized that God was blessing him and whatever Joseph did translated into blessings towards Potiphar's house. And so Potiphar just keeps giving him more because he recognizes God's blessing. The only way he can recognize God's blessing is if Joseph is giving credit to God for it. Um, So he doesn't hesitate to keep his focus on God during that time of uncertainty. Then when he's in the midst of temptation and Potiphar's wife is trying to entice him, he talks about the fact that this would be sin against God. And it would be easy for us to assume that that he could have felt like, okay, God has abandoned me, obviously. God has not taken care of me. God allowed me to be sold into slavery by my brothers, and he didn't save me from that. I cried out and prayed to him, and he didn't come through. I'm going to go forward with this opportunity with Potiphar's wife, right? Like I've earned this. I've worked hard for this. Uh, she sees how great of a guy I am. Uh, instead, he's still clinging to God in this in this temptation, right? He's still saying, no, this would be wrong against my God. This would be a violation of his commands and his laws, and so I can't do this. And then we see him do the right thing, and you would maybe expect God to reward him for that and for the truth to come out, but instead he ends up in prison. And once again, he goes back to working hard, working in his way up in the prison, And he continues to give glory to God in such a way that the prisoners are seeing God's hand upon him. Um, How does Joseph find victory over the temptations he faces in Potiphar's house? Do you remember anything that we mentioned specifically about how he finds victory? He ran from it? Yeah, we talked about those predetermined standards that he has, right? He avoids excuse making. You know, he doesn't make excuses about How he doesn't have any friends to help hold him accountable. Remember, we said that the other slaves would have heard about this. He'd have come back at home, you know, at night and said, Guys, I need your help. Like, uh, the master's wife was was throwing herself at me. They would have been like, Well, what are you doing? Like, why are you not taking advantage of that? Like, he would have had no support system. Um, But he doesn't make excuses and give in to the sin. Remember, Judah runs headstrong into that sin. Joseph resists it, and it's based on predetermined standards. He says, you know what? I'm not going to yield to this. This would hurt Potiphar, who trusts me. This would hurt my God, whom I love greatly. And we talked about that being a pattern for us as well. When we yield to sin, we are, um, we're not yielding to the predetermined standards that we should have, that our sin affects other people, that our sin hurts other people, and that ultimately our sin is a violation of God's laws as well. Um, we uh, we also talked about, or, or not just the sexual temptation there, but he also finds victory over bitterness in Potiphar's house um, by finding ways to glorify God in those bad circumstances, right? Like Potiphar hears him glorifying God for his successes, and that's why he continues to give more to him. And so it's a challenge to us that we can resist temptation the same way that he did, but that we can also resist bitterness by finding ways to glorify God in the midst of bad circumstances. Um, and that led us to last week's sermon, which was finding ministry and contentment in trials. Joseph ends up in prison. and our summary from last week, we can persevere through trials by recognizing the unique ministry opportunities that come our way while also remembering that God controls our future. Um, we said that Joseph's cast into prison and he immediately starts to focus on the needs of others, right? It says that he notices the butler and the baker are downtrodden. It says that he can recognize on their faces that they're sad and they're discouraged. And it said it immediately that he starts to converse with them in, in, in hopes of encouraging them. And we said that Joseph had every right in our minds to kind of sit in the corner and pout and and be downtrodden himself, right? Like, he's the one that's been putting his faith and trust in a God who seemingly isn't coming through for him, and yet he is very keenly aware that there are other people hurting in the prison as well and seems to seek them out and seeks to minister to them. And so we talked about the fact that Paul in Philippians highlights the fact that, hey, it's good that I'm in prison right now because there are people hearing the gospel and being encouraged by my ministry here that otherwise would not have received it. Um, So it's not necessarily good for Paul individually. It's good for the gospel that he was in prison. Um, And so we too uh, should accept the challenge that when God brings us into trials that aren't brought on by ourselves. Remember, we talked in C Group last month. There's a difference between suffering for doing right and a difference between suffering for doing wrong. When we do wrong things and God brings discipline in us, there's hope and encouragement that we have a loving father who loves us enough to not let us stay in that. But there's not a lot of hope in the fact that we brought this on ourselves, right? But when we're in the midst of a trial that we didn't do anything to bring this upon ourselves, Job being a good example of that, then we can trust that God has a bigger plan in play for it. And we should be sensitive enough to look around and say, who does God want me to interact with in this trial that maybe otherwise I would not have interacted with? You know, and we use the examples of, uh, God bringing a sickness into our family's life that forces us to interact with doctors and nurses and specialists that otherwise we would have never talked to, and that they need to see the hope that we have in a God who heals far better than any medicine that, that can be offered by them can heal. Um, and so Joseph does that. He, he jumps on the opportunity to see ministry opportunities in the midst of his trials. What did we say last week was a defining quality of God being God that really sustains Joseph in prison? Anybody remember we said that we read a couple of passages from Psalms about God basically challenging other gods in this area, that if you want to claim to be God, you have to do this. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the psalmist basically, in quoting God, says, if you're going to worship something and call it God and call it the supreme ruler of your life, then it needs to have the ability to, to connect past history with future events, basically to be in control of everything in such a way that the past and the future connect and it's all working for a, for a single purpose. And God says, I'm the, only, I'm the only being that can do that, that your gods are false. They fall short of what I'm able to do because I can connect the past and the future together, that I'm telling one big story um, that has good purposes for, for my people. And so to, to deviate from me towards another God is to say that I believe something else has that ability, something else has that power. And God says, I'll, I'll welcome any, any false God to be brought to me and to be put on trial. Um, but ultimately, I'm the only being that can connect the past and the future together into one great purpose. Um, so that's kind of where we've been over the past five weeks. I wanna leave you with um, six application points um, briefly here, and then we will... Um Transition, hopefully, into talking with Chris and Melissa. Um, but six points that I think are things that we can do in response to the past five sermons that we've heard. All right, number one, two, and three. One is that we need to be quick to deal with bitterness. Um, and we've talked about this even before this past lap at last application Sunday, that if we see bitterness in our life springing up, any hostility, any frustration that we have, especially towards another believer, but just any person in general, that we need to be very quick to deal with that, that the longer it's allowed to fester, the the harder it is to actually deal with, but that the danger is that if we don't ever deal with it, it continues to open up the door for greater sins, Um, and so we need to be very quick to deal with bitterness, and and I've encouraged you and challenged you over the past month to reach out to people that you feel like you need to reconcile with. Um, I'll continue to encourage you to do that, But specifically, as an application Sunday point, let's not move forward. Let's not move forward in Genesis until we've really dealt with this on all levels. Um, If there's anything in your life that needs to be dealt with, I would encourage you to be faithful to not only hear the sermons we've talked about, but to apply those sermons and to be quick to deal with bitterness. Number two, to be sure to do the good you intend to do. Remember we said that um, Reuben had intentions to save Joseph, um, but never really followed through with him. Even when he comes back and finds out that Joseph was sold and he wasn't there to be a part of that decision making, he doesn't go after Joseph. He participates in the lie to his dad, right? And sometimes we talked about, we just kind of stepped away a little bit and said, sometimes we intend to do a lot of good in our minds and we fail to follow through with it a lot of times. And let's not be guilty of people who intend to do good things a lot of times and never actually end up doing it. Um, Joseph intends to and does a lot of good things, right? And it points a lot of unbelievers to the God that he worships and serves. Number three, look for ways that God is working for you rather than questioning why he is against you. Remember we said that Joseph and Jacob have two different perspectives about the whole ordeal in Egypt. Joseph... Seemingly, each step of the way keeps trust in God and keeps believing that God is working good. Jacob makes the statement to his sons and says, all of this has come against me, right? He says, I I lost my beloved Joseph. Benjamin, I can't lose him. I've lost another son who's been left in Egypt. All these things are coming against me. And we see that scripture reveals to us, no, that God's not against us, he is for us. And sometimes we have to look hard to see that, that there may be things that God is carrying us through and it feels like he's against us. But as we've seen in Joseph's life, if we look deep enough, we can see how God is moving and working for Joseph and for Israel and ultimately for us who are now grafted into Israel. Um, We can see the ways that God's working for us if we look hard enough. Um, And that's how God sustains us through trials. We have to continue to trust that he is working for us. So be quick to deal with bitterness. Be sure to do the good you intend to do. Look for ways that God's working for you rather than against you. Number four, remember you are capable of falling into any sin and that God is able to rescue from every sin. And that's got personal application, meaning that we should fight against sin and not presume that we are above the possibility of falling. Right? We've talked about accountability. We've talked about safety measures that we can put in place in our life to guard us against falling into sin. Um, but the flip side is that when we do fall at times, that we don't despair and think that we have lost God's grace, um, that God's very gracious to come back to Judah and continues to use Judah moving forward. And that's an encouragement to us. Number five, remember that our faithfulness is not always met with immediate reward, but we can trust that our reward is to come right? Joseph doesn't get rewarded for saying no to Potiphar's wife, according to our standards, right? God doesn't give him a piece of candy for saying no, doesn't God doesn't reward him immediately, right? And sometimes we, we come to expect good behavior leads to rewards immediately, and Joseph ends up in prison for it, right? And scripture is constantly telling us this world is not our reward, that our reward is to come. Um, and so we, we want to remember that as we leave this section of Genesis as well. Um, and then number six, look for ways to serve others in the midst of trials. Um, I hope that as God continues to bring us at times into undesirable circumstances, that we won't miss the opportunities, that we won't miss the people that are in those circumstances with us that are hurting as well, that we won't become so inward focused, that we miss unique opportunities that God is giving us to serve other people, people that we otherwise would not have come in contact with. Um, so a lot of good application points. I'm going to post these um, on the city as well as in our um, folder of notes that you can follow along with in Google Drive. Hope that you'll be prayerfully considering how to actually apply these in your life, reviewing these over the next week as we get ready to move into the next stage in Joseph's life where we see all things start to break his way a lot more as he comes before um, Pharaoh. Ends up in a position of authority and then is able to bring his family um, under that veil of safety as well. So, um, six points to kind of remember in addition to the other things that we reflected upon today. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.